There is no health without mental health. Greetings and welcome to Beyond Madness from me, Christopher Paul Sabo. As a psychiatrist, I host conversations with thought leaders from psychiatry and beyond, discussing topics that whilst emanating from within the discipline have relevance for society. Beyond Madness is proudly brought to you by Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave, inspiring communities one pharmacy at a time. It is estimated that approximately 23% of households in the UK have at least one cat and 30% one or more dogs, with similar figures for Europe, Australia, China and Japan. For many, these pets are members of the family and are well integrated into households accordingly. From a mental health perspective, the role of companion animals in providing comfort for those living with mental health problems has been studied with benefits demonstrated. Aside from the domestic informal situation, there have been studies on the use of animal-assisted therapy as a formal intervention for a variety of mental health problems. Dogs are the most commonly utilized in these situations, with the evidence suggesting benefit. What about horses? Clearly not appropriate for the informal domestic situation, but maybe within the context of animal-assisted therapy, a consideration. In today's episode, entitled Animals and Healing, a Potential Role for Horses, we'll be focusing on equine-assisted psychotherapy, and joining me are Sarah Garland and Fiona Bromfield. Sarah is a certified equine assisted therapy facilitator. She's a founding trustee and public relations and program manager of the Equinox Trust, an equine therapy nonprofit organization based in Cape Town. Fiona is a certified equine assisted therapy facilitator as well and a founding trustee and the financial and operations manager of the Equinox Trust. In terms of being certified equine assisted therapy facilitators, both Sarah and Fiona are certified through the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association, which is, and I quote from their website, the leading international non-profit association for mental health and equine professionals incorporating horses to address mental health and personal development needs. So, welcome to both of you, and thanks for making the time to 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 join us today. And just to, by way of, of of context, both of you or the two of you were co-authors on a paper whose lead author was Mark Roffey. He's a Cape Town-based psychiatrist at Falkenberg, published in a publication of which I'm the editor in chief, South African Psychiatry published a few years ago, and it described a, a project that you were involved with at um, Falkenberg Psychiatric Hospital in Cape Town, utilizing equine-assisted psychotherapy in a forensic psychiatric patient group. So these are patients who were admitted following the commission of a crime, but by virtue of being mentally ill at the time of committing the crime were found not responsible for their criminal act. And thus they were sent for ongoing care and treatment to the forensic unit at Falkenberg as state patients. So obviously, I think that before we get into equine-assisted psychotherapy, I mean, the role of animals in uh, in providing comfort, I, th I think that is kind of well understood intuitively would you would you agree how would you how would you respond to that either of you yeah I think I mean everybody knows how amazing it feels when you have an animal close to you and how sensitive the animals are if you're feeling upset or you're having a bad day you'll often find that your dog or your cat comes and has a little cuddle next to you so I think people genuinely know that there's something something special about the spirit of an animal. Yes, I mean one one forms those connections. Sometimes the dog is the only one who's happy to see you when you get home. So 
exactly. know, and when they talk about a dog being a man's best friend and, 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 and the kind of loyalty and, and, and companionship and trust, I think that most people would, uh, would agree that there is a, an intuitive understanding of, 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 of the formation of relationships between animals and people. And one sees that with all kinds of, of animals, but I think we're talking more about the domesticated animals. So we've got the dogs, we've got the cats, and obviously we will get into looking at, um, Animal assisted therapy, but we'll, we'll get to the specifics. So obviously, I mean, in terms of the range of, of animals, we've mentioned dogs and cats, but there are other animals as well. I mean, uh, dolphins. I don't know if, I mean, you guys are based at the ocean. So I don't know if you know <laughs> of any work in, in Cape Town that goes, goes on with, uh, with dolphins. Not not here, definitely in Mozambique. I think the water is too cold here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Sorry, I, I'd, I'd forgotten that you guys are Atlantic, although you've got a bit of Indian Ocean. Yeah, on, on, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, obviously dolphins would be maybe up KwaZulu-Natal way. I think that, uh, yeah. But certainly I've seen work where people work with dolphins in terms of, 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 of providing some kind of healing. And they talk about rabbits and hamsters and, of course, horses, but more specifically dogs, they speak about psychiatric service dogs, you know, so, so, so the idea of, of, of dogs providing comfort is, is kind of, I think, probably one of the better established, um, human animals and specifically the, 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 the guide dogs for the blind. Yeah. I think those are, those are the, the ones, but loneliness also comes into it and the aged. So I yeah. think that's uh, something else. And, and, and obviously there's a whole host of psychiatric conditions, brain injury. We've mentioned blindness. So I think the, the involvement of, 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 of animals and humans, um, has an extensive history, obviously, and for various, um, issues that arise where animals could be, could be helpful. And in different settings, I mean, obviously where you conducted your project, was not in a psychiatric setting, but it involved psychiatric patients from an adjacent psychiatric hospital. But I think that, you know, care facilities, correctional facilities, they even say disaster areas are, um, are places where you will find these, these, these situations. Can you think of any specific benefits that come to mind in, in, in terms of, you know, usage of animals for providing comfort? yourselves i mean what are your thoughts on that um yeah i think i mean we actually have an organization that we work quite closely with and they even have snakes guinea pigs rats snakes um, and yeah and and they're a they're a child therapy um facility okay. um their joburg their joburg base uses these but um what's i don't know if the snakes always come out the, the cages yeah well um, but, <laughs> But I think um, it it brings another element. Um, so you know, there is a there is often a judgment that comes when a, another human is present. But right. when you bring an animal, yes. uh, there seems to be a boundary or a wall that is dropped or that dissipates. Um, so I mean, I'm there is a very famous video that's done the rounds of a horse coming into a hospital. So that is quite an extreme, unique case. Uh, on the first floor, ground floor, second floor? I, I don't know that. All you see is the video of this horse coming yes. in to see uh, terminally ill patients. And really? um, it's absolutely phenomenal seeing a patient who is almost sort of sedated to almost a comatose state. And then suddenly there's a smile because there's a horse breath 
Right. You know, and I think that that is what the dogs bring. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, there, there's just a lowering of our inhibitions because there's an animal bringing something else to us. Well, I think they do certainly change the dynamic in terms of yeah. what is going on. But I think that if, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about animals and, and, and humans, obviously companionship is, a, is, is very important in terms of the relationships that are formed between animals and humans and, and just that engagement with another sentient being, you mm. know, where you can actually share and, 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 well, have communication with, if not necessarily verbal, but at least in terms of touching and, 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 um, exchange of, of, of affection. I think one of the other things is, is that it, it, it kind of displaces one's attention away from symptoms sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a distraction. Which I think is, is, is important. And I think also the, um, it has been observed. I mean, that there's less anxiety, less hopelessness, less despair, and more improvement in terms of mood, energy, and, and, and optimism. I'm not sure what, what your experiences are because obviously you work with horses specifically, but only horses or do you have any other exposure to, to human animal, um, therapeutic relationships, so to speak? Yeah, no, we work slowly with, with horses. Um, we do have partnerships with other organizations like that use dogs as therapy and things like that. But yes. in terms of the programs we run, it's exclusively with horses. Okay. So, I mean, what, what we're really talking about is animals used or participating in a much more structured way, not just at home. They're around. They're part of the family. This is where we're talking about animal-assisted therapy, and I think you've you've um, alluded to it, Sarah. The, the the whole dynamic changes when you bring an animal. I mean, traditionally, a psychotherapeutic environment is between two people, so you've yeah. got that 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 dyad. Suddenly, you're introducing a third element in the form of an animal. So that's obviously very different, and I think something very important: the physical contact. Because obviously equine-assisted psychotherapy is very much about physical contact. Would you, would you want to comment on that? Yeah, it's a experiential um, model of therapy, you know, at the forefront. Uh, and it, um, it really brings in our model that we work with is triangular. So we have right. the facilitators, we have um, the client, the patient, and we have the horses. And it, it brings a much broader space and a much bigger dynamic um, because you can now bring in a physical um, and experiential for a lot of people, a spiritual as well. Right. That's an interesting one. Um, do you want to comment more on that, about the spiritual aspect? Um, yeah, happy to. Sure, um, please. So um, obviously I think just being out in nature itself, um, a lot of us can be confined by our jobs, our workforce, our you know sort of family life going through the daily occurrences of life and being able to come into a space where you can actually start to feel connected to the ground again, grounded, being grounded. Right. Um, you can start to experience nature. You can actually start to hear what's in your present moment. So many times humans get lost in everything else, but being in the present and our most powerful space for healing for anything is to be in the present moment. Um, so yeah. No, so I think, I think that's a very important element. I don't know, Fiona, do you want to chip in there? 
Yeah, no, and I was just thinking as Sarah was talking, you know, I said we work exclusively with horses, but in our sessions, we have so many other elements that are actually part of the client's story. Right. We have squirrels, we have tortoises, we have Egyptian geese, you know, we have the wind howling in the trees or the rain, and they all play a part in the client's story. So it does become like a giant, like, play therapy sandbox where you literally are seeing your story unfolding in front of you. Well, I think that's... I think that's very important because you're talking about all the different elements which you don't traditionally find sitting in an office, two people mm. in chairs, you know, it's closed, it's controlled. This is somewhat different because you're now talking about the elements and the need to actually be aware of and, and, and engage. So I think in that sense, yes. I mean, there's a hell of a lot more going on in, in, in that kind of situation. Sarah? Yeah, there is. And we, we very much – also engaged depending on where the client is or their level of spirituality, but even things of where the sun is or where they place themselves within, uh, you know, the arena, um, where they place themselves with, you know, next to the animal um, in terms of energies, in terms of chakra. If a horse is continually coming up to the throat chakra, that means communication. And we will, it gives us an extra element of, is there potentially something you're holding back on or needing to communicate? The horse keeps coming here. Oh, okay. So when you talk about the neck chakra, you're talking about the horse coming up to the individual's neck. And yeah. what are the, and, 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 and what would the horse be doing? We've, we've seen they'll either be nuzzling um, or sometimes we've very recently had um, in one of our group programs, a horse has come up to um, one of our female clients and used his, head and just lightly pushed on her torso, which has shaken her to her core, literally to open up her vulnerability. She said she's been holding on to everything because she helps everybody else, but she hasn't helped herself. And this horse has pushed her to open up. So that was obviously more her um, thoracic and her her heart chakra. But um, yeah. So so it's interesting how one interprets that. I mean, so you're actually looking at, things very specifically and it's got meaning for the individual yes and i i know i think we are going to talk about that Mm. later but our model is client solution orientated so it's clients have the solution to their own problems and their own issues so we facilitate the process we don't use our own words we use their words okay i think that's very important because at the end of the day those are the most powerful. So you're not telling people what they're experiencing. They start to talk about what they're experiencing. And through that, one learns or they learn actually as much as you do about where things are at maybe for them. So I think that's actually um, very important. The other thing, of course, is that often traditional psychotherapy may be a little bit threatening for for people, you know, sitting face to face with one person and, and, and revealing or telling your story. Somehow it seems the animals kind of change that. Have you have you experienced that? Yeah, no, definitely. It it definitely is a much more non threatening form of, of therapy. And like Sarah said, it's not as you know, it's not as telling the clients, you know, sure, you're looking very angry today. Mm. It's they can see what's happening with the horses and it's just as helping them to understand it, what they're seeing. So in, fact, so, so in fact, through the horses, you get in touch with your own emotions. That's, that's kind of exactly. what I'm hearing. 100%, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And, and, and I think, it, again, intuitively, it, it, it makes sense. But I think you have to understand 
the horse's capacity to actually do that. But I suppose it probably happens the same maybe with cats and dogs. I'm not sure. But we're going to stick to to horses. But obviously this whole involvement of, of animals goes way back. And I think it starts with a child psychiatrist, a chap called Boris Levinson, I read, who obviously had uh, experiences with dogs and, 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 and kids. So there's a long history, actually, of, of, of this kind of work. So if we think about, before we get into equine-assisted psychotherapy, there's equine-assisted therapy. And I think what's important is to kind of uh, break it down into its various components because obviously we're going to focus more on the psychological, but there are other aspects to equine-assisted therapy. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on, on how else equine therapy assists or working with horses? Um, yeah, I mean, you can you can use it in various ways. So it's actually called hippotherapy okay. when you do hippo as in H I P P O. Yes, but and there's I, no hippos in the room. There's no hippos in the room, but someone said to me, "Yes, Sarah, but you're aiding the hippocampus." Ah, uh, so okay. I made that connection recently. Okay, um, maybe, yeah. But yeah, so um, so hippotherapy can be used for the for the physical movement. So the physical movement that horses create. When you're sitting on top of a horse, okay. can aid, for example, cerebral palsy or, um, you know, patients that have been quite, um, fused, uh, you know, muscular issues or, you know, any sort of diagnosis that had where their physical ailments are, are restricting them. Right. Getting on a horse can create a natural movement that they can't get from other kinds of therapies. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's so that's that's sort of one way. I'm just um, curious, the, the the kids with cerebral palsy. I mean, how do they how do they respond to the horse? Because I'm thinking of a kid with cerebral palsy and, and thinking, wow, you know, they've got that spasticity and the mm. difficulty in movement. Now you've got to get them up onto the horse. So how does that actually work? It's it's quite it's quite an incredible process. Um, we do have quite a few organisations that do this work incredibly, um, and there's a whole lot of things you have to have. Obviously, like a ramp for the wheelchair right. um, children or, or clients, and there's quite a few handlers. So you have a horse handler, and you'll have side handlers depending on the severity of the case. Okay. And they then do help them. I think obviously there are some cases that would not be suitable. Right. But for the most part, they get them up there. So there is maybe some aid in keeping them on top of the horse. Right. But otherwise, the smiles on these kids' faces and what smiles they can give is incredible because, again, they have that touch of the horse. So they can touch the horse. They can smell the horse. Mm -hmm. And they can feel this connection. There is an incredible energy that horses are able to give. Um, and it's something that often words can't describe yes. and that sometimes don't really need words to describe it. So that's what these kids feel. So they right. get not only a physical, but they get a relational experience as well. Yes, I think that's very important, actually. And and, and, and we seem to be describing something. I'm going to use the word magical. Maybe I'm overstating the case, but there's something about the horse that is different to other animals and in terms of the relationship with, with humans. And so we'll, we'll get into maybe some of the specifics, but obviously, okay. So the physical, so it's, it's, it's good for mobility, posture, balance, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, when you're talking about kids with, 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 with cerebral palsy, but I mean, do you use horses for physical rehabilitation where there have been injuries or anything like that? 
Um, not, not that I'm aware of. Not. I mean, I, I do know that there are quite a few occupational therapists who are starting to use horses um, okay. uh, in 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 their work. So I think the modalities are starting to open up to it. But yeah, we've had very little exposure to right. um, physical rehabilitation. Yeah. So besides the physical and the psychological, which we are going to sort of do a deep dive into there's also the 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 learning aspect so here we're getting into life skills because obviously we're going to talk about it from a psychotherapeutic point of view but there are other applications so maybe you'd like to elaborate uh, Fiona yeah so I mean the life skills is, is quite broad I mean we from our point of view we offer for example corporate wellness programs and like team building sessions Um, where it's all sort of skills-based, a corporate can come to us, for example, with uh, communication issues or leadership issues, and we can work through that with the team. Obviously, you're not going into the depth of a therapy session, but it's all more skills-based and much more sort of surface level from that point of view. So, I mean, from a team building exercise, how would that work? I'm, ju- I'm just curious because when I, when I think of team building, I've seen them do uh, drumming where everybody's drumming and I've seen them do sort of obstacle courses, etc. But now we're talking about horses. So how would that work within a team building uh, context? So, I mean, in a sense, pretty similarly for all of our groups, though the team would arrive and they'd start out sort of very gently easing into it, just observing the herd. And even from that kind of, set up, we can tell a lot from them. You know, someone's going to say, oh, that horse is the boss over there. That horse is just the one that gets no say. You know, that's the leader, whatever it is. Right. So we can already start to tell quite a lot about the team dynamics. So, so I mean, obviously in that kind of context, people are encouraged to, 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 to speak and to see, or should I say, to say what they see. And mm. those comments are, 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 are then interpreted in a sense. Right. Which yeah, gives- it becomes quite a discussion point. And actually, the teams tend to sort of form their own, almost like a therapeutic group. They start having their own discussions, and we kind of almost fall out of the picture while they're doing all their own processing, which is fantastic. Well, I suppose that's exactly what facilitation is about. You're not telling them necessarily what to do. They just kind of take their own path, and they find their own healing. I suppose, no, totally. or, or, or their own solutions. So let's so let's talk a little bit more now about equine assisted psychotherapy because that's really where I wanted to to get to. So I think the first thing that that strikes me is that you don't work with a horse, you work with horses. Do you want to build on that observation? Yeah, so we tend to work with a herd. Um, you can work with one horse if you have an individual client and maybe you only have one horse available to you that day. It it can still work. Right. But it is the dynamic between the herd members that actually gives you so much information. We tend to actually work with bigger herds than we used to. You know, we would always start with maybe two, three horses. Now we're quite happy with six or seven horses at a time. And just the interplay between the different horses can also give you so much information. So so you're working with, I mean, that's a significant number of horses. And you're working where? Because obviously it's out in the open. This is not office-based. Um, yes. In fact, where you work is the office, different kind of exactly. office. So, so just give me a sense of put me in the put me in the the situation. Where where would I be located now? Yeah. So we work from different venues around Cape Town, but all of them have an arena space or a grass paddock space. Right. So quite a large space where you can fit six or seven horses, and they can move around freely. We'll often leave gates open to other areas. So if they do feel the need to leave the session for any reason, they can. So the horse can leave the session? 
They can. We've had horses climbing through fences. We've had horses jumping out of sessions. And all that is important for the client. Well, I think it must be a little bit intimidating. You kind of got six or seven horses milling around. Um, they're not your horses. You don't know them. And they're kind of free to move as they see fit. Because, I mean, this yep. doesn't sound to me like it's, you know, the horse is going to do X, Y, and Z on, you know, they're just there. And now you're introduced. So I'm, I kind of come in. There's all these horses. What happens next? So just to speak to that point, yes, we often have, have clients arriving who are very scared, have never met a horse before, have half the time barely seen a horse. And, you know, we always get a question, but can they kick me? Mm. We say to them, well, sure they can, but what would make them want to kick you? So that they can come up with their own answer of, oh, okay, if they're angry or if they're scared or if they got a fright. Or if yes, I did something. So, yeah. So we say to them, where can you put yourself that you feel safe for today? And it's up to them. So I think that's a very important issue, safety of the participant. Because obviously, you know, as, as, as um, accredited facilitators, that is obviously part of your brief. But before I get to that, just tell me something. As an accredited facilitator, what does that mean exactly in terms of the kind of training that you've had to go through or the process to become an accredited facilitator? Um, so, yeah, so I think you've obviously got to, this is essentially a therapeutic process. So you've obviously got to be qualified in a scope of practice to to provide a mental health service. Right. And then um, on and above that, uh, you need to specialize in equine-assisted psychotherapy. Um, so there are several models out there within internationally and nationally. Yeah. Um, we've chosen to follow the Gala model, as you introduced us um, yes. earlier, and that holds its own complete board it's got a board of ethics it's got uh, training you have to do your continuing education um, hours as well and um, that is an actual specific model that you have a training process in that trades you in a certain way of facilitating so um, just as if you for example, qualify as a counselor and then you decide you want to go into play therapy. Right. You need to go do a play therapy course to have that certification. Okay. That's, that's what we've done with Igala and what Igala provides for us as professionals. Tell me something. I mean, do you, either of you have uh, uh, backgrounds in, in, in health at all or are you social workers, occupational therapists? What is, what is your background? So I am a, a social worker in the clinical field. So okay. I am completed my master's so that I can uh, that I can practice psychotherapy. I've also got a teaching background. So I've, okay. I've been with teachers, and then horses have been part of my life since I was four years old. So I'm also qualified with them. So. Okay, right. And yourself, Fiona? So very similar. Um, also, yeah, did horse riding since I was little, and also did teaching for a little bit. And then I did my honours in psychology, and then I'm now a specialist wellness counsellor. So we have very similar backgrounds. Okay, so what's important is that you are not simply horse people in yeah. the sense that you just work with horses. I mean, you've actually got, you know, backgrounds in psychology, social work. So, in fact, your involvement with people in a therapeutic context actually has some kind of training and background to it. Not that you've necessarily, I don't know to what extent you've, you've worked clinically, but certainly you've got that background and you've yes. just, and, and you've added. Yeah. And I, I want to just say thank you for bringing that up because I think 
far too often in our field, we find people who have an honors in psychology, have some horses in their backyard and decide that they can do equine assisted psychotherapy or equine assisted therapy. And okay. it's, it's, it's a very um, scary space because it's a, it's a beautifully powerful modality, but it is a professional modality. And um, yeah. So, no, I mean, that's what I've understood, and I, and I think that's why I specifically introduced you as being accredited facilitators in terms of equine-assisted growth and learning, you know, with that association. So that it's, it's understood that, you know, one doesn't just decide to become an equine psychotherapist. There's a whole process involved, and there's accreditation, and there's ongoing education for ongoing accreditation. That's my understanding. Yes, yeah. So you, your certification will lapse. Right. If you don't keep up your professional um, education hours, very much like my social work board. So I'm, right. I've, you know, I've got to stay accredited with my social work board and I've got to stay accredited with my equine, with the EGALA. Okay, that's very important. So aside from participant safety, you're obviously looking at the physical response of the horse. Because I think that's very important. You know, what, what happens if a horse gets skittish? And looks like it's going to rear up or do something. You guys are there to kind of step in and, and bring that situation under control because obviously the participants are not handlers in that sense. Yeah, no, totally. So we always work as a team in every session. So for the psychotherapy sessions, that's Sarah's scope of practice. So she's the mental health practitioner in that session and right. I'm the equine specialist for that Aha, session. Aha. Okay. So there wouldn't be another, so, the mental health professional who referred the patient for this kind of intervention, they wouldn't be present, or they might be? They might be. We offer that they can be there, they can stand with us, but right. we would just ask that they don't get involved in the process at the time. We can kind of, they're just there to observe and to hear what comes out, and then they can take that back to work with their clients later. Okay, so they would. They could if they wanted to be there to observe and make their yeah. own observations, but obviously it would be probably wise to discuss with you what they saw, what you saw, and just kind of bring that information together, obviously about a specific patient or, or, or group of patients. But I think that in, in, in terms of the patients, the one issue aside from the physical safety is, is how they experience the horse emotionally. You know, what, what kind of emotions does the horse elicit in them? Would that be… Reasonable to, to kind of assume that? Yeah, so I mean, they're looking at emotions, what's coming up physically for them and emotionally. And the, the kind of key point is that they are able to link what happens with the horses to whatever's going on in their life, right. whether it's their relationships or their work or what just happened when they left home today. So it's, it's the point of it is to link it back to their life so that they can start to make change in their real life situations. And, and obviously you're, you're watching the 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 nonverbal communication, so to speak, between the patient and the horse. I mean, there's obviously a, a physical presence of either, and you're looking at the interaction, how they interact with the horse, which could reflect their emotional state. Yeah, no, totally. So just to also come back to your point about if the horses are getting skittish, yes. it looks like something might be going a bit a bit south. Yes. As the horse professional in that session, that is my job to observe the horse behavior. Yeah. And to know your horses really well. You know, we would never just work with horses that we've just met that day. Um, to know the horses and to know that horse has pinned its ears back, it doesn't mean anything because that horse always pins its ears back. Okay. Or to know that horse is warning that it's going to kick. 
Okay. In which case we tend to keep it as relaxed as possible and we'll say to the client or the group, hey guys, how about we just have a check-in over here and see what's going on, just to try and diffuse the whole situation right. before it gets out of hand. Because safety is obviously always a priority. So you've got to know your horses. Definitely. Have you ever had, I mean, you know, I'm curious now, have you ever had incidents that, 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 that were really concerning or you've always been able to kind of recognize what's going on and intervene before anything happened and then just kind of debrief before carrying on? On the whole, yeah, I think we've had one kick maybe that yeah was not serious, thankfully. Yeah, um, and it was a, a young, a youngish child who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. But generally, we do manage to diffuse it and to we, you know, knowing the horses we work with as well, we're not going to use a horse that's just been rehabilitated or something. It, it needs to be a, an emotionally stable horse. Okay, so you have to assess the horse's mental state as well as you're observing any patients who are involved. <laughs> That's very important. You've got to know them. So tell me, I mean, obviously before you commence um, the process, you have an understanding of the individuals that you're going to be working with and what you might be working towards, so treatment goals. Sarah? Yeah, I think um, it, it depends what, you know, what we're doing and what's presented. We – um, tend not to ask for too much of a um, history. Okay. Um, obviously, history is important, but we tend not to ask too much of a history. We will ask, what are you coming for? Um, and uh, because it's very much in the, in the moment and what's actually troubling someone is very subconscious. And what this process does is bring to their consciousness what they really need to work on. Um, and the rest of the stuff will follow. So our model is quite non-directive and um, obviously there are important things for us to note um, and uh, if we're working in groups for example what we'll be talking about later in the article yes um, you know it's quite important for us to know certain things yes um, but otherwise it's what happens in the present moment that uh, okay gives us the most information so there are no specific for 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 you guys treatment goals you're more here are the horses here are the folk. This is what we're going to do. What it reveals, it reveals. How that information is utilized is something that takes place beyond what you guys do. Could that be? Yeah. So we. So like I said, I think it is quite different depending on what people present with. We've we've had someone come to us um, who had a severely traumatized background and said she can't feel anything. I know I can. I can share her details. Um, like this, she's given us permission, but yes. she she came to us literally said, I need to meet the horses before I even engage in this, and I can't feel anything. Can you help me feel feelings again? Okay. And so that was, you know, quite a quite a unique um we didn't ask for too much history. Her yes. history came out, we worked with her over a, a course of two years. Okay. Um, but she eventually could feel her feelings. So that was every sort of three or four sessions, we do a check-in with the client or clients and we say, Okay. Where are we at? Um, this is what we think. We think, you know, we need to be seeing you for another six sessions. Right. And that's something I do want to share is that we can't tell you that in 10 sessions we can help you. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no unrealistic expectation created. It's we'll see where this goes. And obviously, as it unfolds, we will then take it from there. I think what's important is, is that there is no riding. I think that's that's that, that's very important because what does the actual what, what is the activity and from what I've understood it's what they what, what you call ground based. So do you just want to elaborate a little bit on 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 that? 
Yeah, so the reason it is not right, written work, it did the model actually when it started, there was a small element of written work in it, but they soon changed it because when you're on top of the horse, you need to be given instructions on how to manage that horse for your safety. Right. You need to be able to know how to tell that horse to go or how to tell it to stop. Yeah. So the relationship changes completely. You need to be the boss. Of what's going on. Okay, yeah. So this is a rider horse situation. So this yes. is this is now completely different. Quite right. Okay, yes. Yeah. So when you're on the ground, you become essentially a part of that herd. And I, I found that fascinating because I, I mean, obviously, one, one sees lots of horses together, and you know, they, they are in fact a herd. And there's obviously yeah. a hierarchy, and they all know who's who in the herd. I'm assuming. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, their main goal is to keep the herd safe. If they were in the wild, they would need to know that there was a mountain lion around the corner. So right. they're extremely in tune with what's going on around them. Well, I think that's important to know about horses. They're very sensitive to the to the environment. And I suppose that's what makes them so uniquely qualified in a sense to work with with, with, with humans in, in the way that you're talking about. But obviously, and, and, and we've discussed it earlier, it's an open environment. So clearly there's got to be an appropriate environment. Um, these horses, it's, it's obviously their environment because you're not taking them into a foreign environment. It's, it's, it's their environment. Is that, is, is that right? Yeah. I mean, the Falkenberg program, which we'll get into, yes. was not their environment, but generally, oh. yes, we're working on their farm. Some of them are in the paddocks that they spend the day in. Some of them might be in stables and then they come out for the session and go back, but it is on their farm essentially. Okay. So you're moving on to their turf. So therefore, it's very much you're being incorporated into their herd as just another member of the herd. Yes, in totally. a sense, and they will assess you as soon as you step in there. They will check out what's going on. I think that's yeah. what's fascinating is this whole concept of you know you're a human, you encounter the horses in their environment, and they kind of say, okay, who are you? Fine, we'll take you in, we'll check you out, and we'll make a decision as to where you fit in. Is is that kind of how it seems to work? Yeah, and I think I just, I wanted to bring in there that we, you know, when we say a herd of horses, we all start to think wild horses out there, you know, yeah. uh, remembering that horses have become entrenched in human life over the years. So right. they're not um, wild as, you know, sort of some of those movies and, and yes. you know, that they're portrayed in books. Right. So these animals have humans as part of their everyday life. Um, so for them having some humans step into their space, it's not something unique. It's something okay. um, everyday. Right. Okay. So they so they're not unfamiliar with humans, obviously. Yes. But no. the but the but the process starts off with what you call a greet and groom. That's uh, what happens. You greet the horse and you groom the horse, and it's very task orientated. Would you elaborate a little bit on that? So I think this this is where it can differ quite a bit. Um, for our Falkenberg program, it was very task oriented because of the patients we were working with. Okay. Um, with other clients, we will leave it quite open and quite. We're going to invite you to greet your horses, whatever that looks like for you. Right. And um, some people want to brush, some people don't. Some people want to just stand with us. Some people want to go up to them. So this is where the model is beautiful in its versatility in terms of how we can see so many different kinds of people because we can adjust what we invite our clients to do in terms of being quite directive, task-orientated, or okay. quite open and go with the flow. Okay. So you're busy watching that, and, and, and you talk about the use of props. And so that entails what? Because it's halters, ropes, buckets. What sort of 
exercises or activities are involved in 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 the use of the props yeah so we we've tended to go a little bit more natural now uh, oh. and have even like old like old cell phones um cameras um teddy bears um baskets books uh, i mean we've you know anything that can be part of the metaphorical process um a telephone is often used for the word communication okay. a book is often used for the bible or so um, where does that come into working with the horses so what happens is when you come into the space and once we've done this meet and greet and you've you've had a bit of an icebreaker into being with your horses we will then move into a slightly more task oriented or activity oriented um space right. where we will invite a person for example um today we're going to look at um your past we're going to invite you to select some objects that represent significant parts of your past mm-hmm. to place them out there in a space right we are going to then invite you to bring a horse or horses to that space and that is where the process happens while they're getting the objects the horses are playing a part while they're laying it out the horses will be playing a part um often very often uh, the horses will come and visit them and yeah Okay. So when you say lead the horse, I mean now you you you're looking for the individuals to engage with the horses and get them to respond to a command or an instruction or an intention. How does that work? Yeah, so it's very much about the connection the client has with that horse. I mean, we all know you can lead a horse to water, but you yes, can't make a drink. You, you sure. can't lead a horse to a space <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> unless there's some kind of connection there. Okay. And I mean, we've seen it happen. We've had a we had a family session years ago, and we'd asked them to move a horse, and they just could not do it. And it went on and on, and only when they came together as a family, they all went around the one horse, and this horse literally stopped what it was doing, lifted its head, and walked over the obstacle that they were trying to get over. Okay, so, so it's, as you say, the intention it's it's literally it's the energy the horse is picking up. Of okay, I really would like you to move now. Right. Um, Obviously, you get clients that don't want to force a horse. Nobody wants them forced. Um, but it's until they are ready, that animal will not move. So how long do the sessions last for? Uh, each session is an hour, generally. Okay, so it's, 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 it's one hour. And obviously yeah, through the… things are longer. Okay. So obviously through what you observe, you can interpret what else might be going on in the person's life and, and, and you reflect. So for example, if there's a difficult task which they manage to get the horse to undertake, then this is a, a manifestation of their ability to work collaboratively to solve a problem. Would that be? Yeah, no, totally. Okay. So it's metaphoric in that sense. You're saying, well, how, what have we learned from this exercise? Okay. Yeah, or what is that obstacle that you've been really struggling to get over? Now you maybe you made the obstacle look different. Can you do that in your life? Okay, yeah, that's 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 that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the 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 large size of the horse can be a bit daunting, but I assume that most people get past their anxiety and 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 any fear that they might have. Yeah, it tends to for most people not take that long. You know, we always say to people, if you're not comfortable being up close to them yet, that's fine. You can stand where you feel safe. Um, but generally when people see other people getting involved, they also want to be a part of it. I think what's interesting is that people don't necessarily appreciate that they're joining a herd. They think they're engaging with a horse. They don't necessarily understand that the horse is looking at them and saying, oh, okay, you, you're joining us now. You're one of yeah. us. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking back to uh, the dog whisperer and Caesar mm. Milan. And sometimes he would take uh, difficult dogs and put them in a pack and, uh, 
he had his own dog, which was a uh, a pit bull, actually. Yes. And this pit bull was one of the most tranquil pit bulls I've ever seen. But yeah, he was so clearly the boss. Yeah. <laughs> and it was interesting to see how a difficult dog would just kind of find their place in the hierarchy and just fit in. I think what always amazed me about that program was just how vicious the chihuahuas were. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I thought to myself, damn, if those things were full size, we'd have a real problem on our hands. So the thing about the horses is, 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 and, and maybe people don't fully appreciate this. The horse is a, is, is prey, not predator. And so I think that kind of accounts for a lot of their um, hypersensitivity to the to the environment and and their hypervigilance and their instant communication. You, you want to comment a bit on that? Yeah, no, totally. They are always hundred percent aware of what is going on around them, and I think as humans we are blissfully unaware most of the time of what's going on around us. Yeah, you know, someone could sneak up behind you and you would not have the foggiest idea they were coming, but a horse would have known that a long time ago. Yeah, so I think that is that is that is something that really distinguishes the horse in that sense. But I think there were other elements that that you described, and and their ability to kind of mirror and reflect what is being experienced by the horse in terms of the person in their herd that's been introduced, and 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 the fact that they do so in a very instinctive way, non-judgmental, which no, I find, totally. yeah, Carrie, sorry. I mean, you know, as people, we come in with so many preconceived ideas of, you know, how your day should be going, how your hour should be going. And we've got so much stuff going on in the back of our heads, whereas horses are just living in the moment. So they are reflecting what is going on for you right there. So they're very zen. Totally. (laughs) They are so grounded and so in tune with the here and now. Four-legged Buddhists. That's uh, that's, that's what it sounds like. But I think what's important is is, is the horse is is non-judgmental. The horse is simply yeah. responding to what it's experiencing in you and is reflecting you back to you. Yeah, and they don't care if you're the CEO or if you're the lady that makes the tea. They don't care what color you are. They don't care about anything except right here, right now, how are you showing up? Yeah, and I think that's 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 kind of refreshing in a way because I think that's not how it is in the real world between humans. Yeah, actually. exactly. So there's a hell of a lot to learn from from horses and, and it's really I suppose about no assumptions. I don't know who you are. Yeah. I'm just going to respond to how I experience you. Yeah, and I think and I think you use the word refreshing, but I think um, the word empowering, yes. really that word comes in is because we as humans have been, we are so protective over being vulnerable. Um, we are all, you know, experiencing trauma in some form. So we're all trying to hold everything together. Um, and when you're in a space where this horse actually just sees you and you, you, although it may feel like, oh, so it's just going to make this flood of emotions open up. It doesn't, doesn't happen like that. We still have our guards and our defenses there. But the horse sees you. The amount of times we've had clients say, that horse is looking into my soul. Mm. Um, you know, for you to be seen, yes. for you to be heard, uh, even in a one-on-one office therapy situation, right. to just bring up the word anger, it's a big thing. Yes. Whereas when it comes through, and I feel like this horse is seeing my anger. For some reason, it's non-judgmental. It's just being seen. Yes. Full stop. So, so in a sense, when you look at the horse who's responding to you, you're looking at yourself. Essentially, yeah. I mean, 
I'm not I'm not overstating it, am I? <laughs> I mean yourself or your or your situation. So yes. if you if you really, you know, if you're open to the process, it's it's processing what's coming up for you subconsciously. Right. So essentially it is going to be, you know, we can a lot of our group therapy sessions, every individual has their individual processing. Yeah. With, with a horse. So um, do you? So do you ask people? Well, how did you? How how did you experience the horse? Or how do you think the horse experienced you? Or what did you see in the horse when you approached the horse or attempted to undertake certain tasks? I mean, do you kind of debrief them in that sense to get a sense of 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 what they can learn from it? Yeah. So so we so through these tasks and activities that we shared earlier, yeah. we have reflection um, processes where they'll go out and do. And then they come back and we'll just ask a very open-ended, right. how was that? Or what happened for you? Okay. Um, and and that leads on to them sharing what that experience is. And then we process the experience okay. with them. So coming more specifically to the Falkenberg project. Now, what I've understood is that it just so happens that Falkenberg is next to Odemollen, the eco-village. And you've got rescue horses there and, and, and stable. So it's perfectly located for this kind of project. So the patients can just simply walk across to the, uh, uh, stables. Um, this has been going since 2015. I understand. So it's, 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 it's got quite a long track record and you've run quite a few of these programs. Initially, my understanding was there were sort of eight week programs. The more, re- the most recent one, there might have been one since you published the article, but that was a 12 week process and obviously you're working with very specific patients but what I'd gleaned from looking at what might link them is that there's violence in the background and violence in their history and so you're bringing them into this kind of environment um, did you have any sense of who you'd be working with exactly when you when you started working with the patients so we actually specifically asked to not um, have their background in terms of their reason for being um, in the hospital. Um, their diagnoses uh, we got, but not um, and any if any of them were on. Obviously, most of them are were all on medication. Yes. Um, we asked for patients that were not too severely medicated um, or heavily medicated, but we didn't want to bring a bias in yes. um, to what you know had brought them into the situation. So you had and, specific kind of criteria where you said, "Listen, this is the kind of um, patient." not specifically in terms of diagnosis, but just in terms of how they are. And obviously you relied on the mental health care professionals at Falkenberg to screen out and say, right, we think this is a suitable group of individuals who you could work with. Was it a fairly consistent group over the 12-week period that was described in the in the paper? Yeah, so we had a lovely working relationship with the psychiatrist and the, the nursing and the, the OTs at, at Falkenberg. And we said, we um, prefer the higher functioning yes. um, patients with uh, more of a cognitive ability. Um, our first first session, we had one patient who was uh, cognitive impairment was very high. Yeah. Um, but we even with with that patient on the seventh session, I think it was, we got um, and I now it slipped my mind what the word that came out of here. He did this activity. Yeah. And he came out and he he said trust. That was his word. Okay. And I mean, he was severely cognitively impaired, and you know, it was it was quite incredible to know that this process had still reached somewhere within him to come out that that process meant trust for him. So um, the selection was we also if they're too highly medicated, then there's and 
the horses don't understand that. Right. And that's also why this program was very unique because research has shown that this process with horses doesn't work in a psychiatric population like this. Oh. For some reason, we seem to have found a niche between these horses and working with these patients. So the program was quite different to a lot of the other programs and quite different to the model in training. Yeah. But essentially we had uh yeah, we had incredible processes. So it's very much about teamwork and problem solving and collaboration and, and, and those kinds of things that you're actually working with in, 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 in this particular project or have worked with? Yes, yeah, so so one of the key elements was communication right. and teamwork. So what okay. often the feedback from the nursing staff would be is that this patient who's usually quite um, uh, obtrusive or, you know, um, doesn't work well with other patients in the ward, since working with the horses, suddenly became more amenable to okay. working and being with other patients and to listening to staff members. So though very subtle for us on a daily basis for these patients, they were huge shifts within their everyday functioning. So they're interpersonal functioning and social skills. I mean that's 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 kind of what I'm taking away. But of course, one of the other big things is the issue of of aggression and irritability, because that clearly has been a part and parcel of their history, and now they're working in this kind of collaborative team environment with the horses. I mean, was there a sense that um, aggression and irritability was also reduced in 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 these patients? I think definitely we 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 had that feedback and we we could see it with them. Um, the horses literally would respond if they were too aggressive or they, they were too upfront or they were too abrupt with their movements. The horses would become skittish or move away from them. So they had to lower their approach. They had to soften their approach. They had to be more aware of themselves. Right. And then the horse would respond to them and they would get to brush the horse. Um, so that's important. I mean, the ability to adapt to the needs of the situation without lashing out or without just walking away, but just trying to get the task, whatever the task was set, done and find a way to do it. Would that be, would that be how I'm understanding it, Fiona? Yeah, I mean, I think the setting alone was often enough just to bring them down into that calmer state. They'd look forward to the session every week because it was their hour outside in the sun. Right. You know, so just that alone kind of diffused that any aggression that there might have been there. And then having the horses there helped to amplify that and they really were able to calm themselves down and learn how to interact. So that's kind of interesting because there are many variables. So we're focusing on the horse, but actually it's got to do with the setting, the weather, being outside, grounded as it were. So yeah. there are a whole host of, of, of elements which could have been contributing in a way beyond the horses. I think that's maybe what's often difficult to, to tease out in this kind of research is that we're making an assumption about the horses, but there could be other factors. But I think in the main, watching them interact with the horses tells you a hell of a lot. And obviously there are learnings that take place. I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think I wanted to share one of the learnings. I can't remember which program he was part of, but he he had a beautiful process, and he, I think, in session five or six, he ended up making um, amends with family members uh -huh. um, because of his processing with the horses, and because he saw how horses could be nice to each other, yes. and how group could be nice to each other. He actually made amends with family members, and it was it was it was a beautiful process to watch, um, and I. You know, we say these big things, but 
this population is there they're quite subdued and they're one word answer men they don't um well this is a this, this is a very marginalized and kind of stigmatized group actually they've committed crimes they've been taken out of the community they are mentally ill so they've got a whole host of reasons to be kind of sitting on the margins and so for that kind of uh, 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 insight and the application of the insight in the real world, I think that really shows the translation of, of, of what you've done into what you really want to achieve, which is to see that kind of outcome. So tell me something. What, I mean, what is the status quo with, 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 with this project? Is it ongoing? What's, what's happening? Um, unfortunately, it's been hit the big pause button since COVID. Right. Um, we, we ran our last one in 2019, okay. and um, we had plans for 2020, and then COVID hit, right. and um, the hospital was, it was quite difficult to get back in, and now our biggest problem is funding. Um, so these were all funded programs, right. um, and so our biggest pro- yeah, problem at the moment is to have funds for this, and unfortunately, it's not on many uh, funders' priority list to fund. It's not, on the, it's not on the radar. It's not no, on the radar. And, and, and full disclosure, I had no understanding of where the project was or the fact that, you know, 2019 had been your last uh, initiative. And yep. so at the end of the day, I think it's quite fortuitous that um, I decided we needed to do a podcast on this because it's fascinating. And I think that it certainly sounds like it's got utility. And obviously, it's not necessarily going to benefit the, the 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 general man in the street. But I think that if you can assist individuals, the kind of individuals we've, we've been talking about, to become different and better able to reintegrate into society in a way that is more functional, then I think that that is critical at the end of the day. So I'm looking forward to hopefully – Hearing that things have been kickstarted, and I don't mean it in the horsey sense, uh, <laughs> just uh, <laughs> in general. But I want to thank Sarah, Fiona, for your time and, and, and sharing of your knowledge and perspectives on, you know, what is actually a novel modality of, of, of psychological intervention. And obviously, where resources permit, it seems to me to be worthy of, of, of consideration. And I certainly wish you all the best. As you continue to provide the service you do, obviously you provide this kind of service in other areas, but it would be nice, you know, to, 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 to re-enter the, the psychiatric domain. So just in closing, um, a word on horses from Winston Churchill, of all people, and evoking the Spielberg movie and the stage production of Michael Mopurgo's book, War Horse, Churchill said, there is something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man. Remember, there is no health without mental health. I am Christopher Paul Sabo, and this is Beyond Madness in proud association with Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave, inspiring communities, one pharmacy at a time.